Why don't we welcome Mike and Alex as they continue our series into rhythms with a discussion this morning. Well, welcome today to New Life Online. We're really excited to have you with me. I'm joined by Pastor Alex from our New Life Brisbane location. And I just want to say thank you for everyone that's currently joining us today. It's been another week of disruption. Uh, But the fact you're online, wherever you're joining us from around the world, around the nation or around Southeast Queensland, thanks for being with us here today. You can throw on the chat of where you're joining us from. We'd love to hear. But secondly, we also recognize some of you today are joining us from quarantine or isolation. And uh, and I I just want to let you know, we're thinking of you, we're praying for you. This is a hard time. This is a hard season. Uh, But the other thing I'd mention is that this isn't the first time we've walked through something like this. This is the third year running. Now our world has had to be agile, had to know what the word pivot means. Um, to, to some degree. And uh, we just want to let you know, we believe that not only we're with you, but God is with you in this time. And, uh, and we, we're praying for you. If you do need prayer at any stage during this service, you can click the live prayer button. And Calvin and our host team, we've got a bunch, Liv and Lucy, would love to pray with you throughout the service. Thanks so much for being agile. For those of us who would have been expecting to be at a physical location today, uh, thank you for being with us as we do what we believe is wise, what we believe is prioritizing the health and also the, the safety of our medical community as well. As I said, I'm joined by Pastor Alex. How are you doing today, Alex? Mike, I'm great this morning. Um, I love the topic we're about to jump into. This is something I'm passionate about. Uh, we're midway through what we're calling Rhythms, a series uh, for which the subtitle is The Habits of the way. I've got to be honest, when I hear of um, the word rhythms, I'm reminded of uh, the Jamaican bobsled team from Full <laughs> Runnings. You yeah, know the yeah, song? Yeah, yeah. Feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. Come on. And I don't know the next part, but it's bobsled time. 100%. <laughs> so good. I love it. Yeah. Why do you love rhythms so much, Alex? What is it about this series that really sticks for you? Yeah, yeah. I think the thing that I like about rhythms, just to put it up front, we're using rhythms as sort of like a catch-all term for our, our habits, our disciplines, our apprenticeship under Jesus, and all the things of our life that uh, uh, essentially exist for the glory of, the, of God and, and our own personal formation. Um, and the thing I love about rhythms is we're in a moment in the year, it's, it's New Year's. And at this time in the year, people typically ask, hey, what can I do this year? Mm. And they, they answer that question by saying, oh, maybe I'll lose five kilos or maybe I'll sort of buff my resume with this crash course online or mm. maybe I'll grow in this particular skill and I'll jump on YouTube and learn how to do a backflip or something like that. And as a church, one of the things we fundamentally believe is that who you're becoming is more important than what you do, even though what we do is important too. Uh, And so I'm passionate about rhythms because it's going to give us a framework, a theology, some practical reflection on how we can think intentionally through the rhythms that we inhabit and adopt, both for the good of our formation and then thinking critically about the things in our world that might be forming us uh, away from the life that Jesus invites us into. Yeah, what's important, if you were with us last year, you'll remember we did rhythms at the start of last Mm. year and someone might be going, oh, have they just run out of innovative ideas that we're just <laughs> repeating now? And to be honest, um, I, a guy named John Tyson said it like this, there's no formation without repetition. Mm. And so one of the things that we'd encourage, we're going to actually do this every year. Every year we're going to assess our rhythms. Every year we're going to look back and say, hey, how are we becoming? Becoming wasn't just the theme of last year. It's the theme of what we believe God has called us to be. What does it mean for us to become more people, more like Jesus? So how are you becoming this year. And I love that theme, Alex. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. And I mean, just to shoot straight, like we don't, we didn't, we don't think we've just come up with this language uh, sort of off our own imaginative sort of excellence. We think we're taking this from the scriptures and particularly from the passage that Katie read so wonderfully 
for us before. This comes from John 15, thinking intentionally about the life that we live as an exercise in abiding in Jesus. And uh, we were chatting about John 15 earlier, Mike. I wondered if you could just give us a bit of an insight to the background behind this passage. Yeah, great. Before we go there, let me, let me explain oh, what yeah. we're going to do today. Um, we both wrote sermons for this week, or you know, at least we were halfway through our sermons or forming them. <laughs> and then from Cool and Gata, David Scambry as well wrote a sermon. And, and David was meant to be with us this morning, but he came down with symptoms late yesterday. And we were like, well, instead of having one of us choose, you know, who's the best sermon to preach, we, we were like, why don't we get together and all talk about what God's been putting on our hearts just for the next couple of moments. Um, and instead do a little bit to differently today and discuss and, and just walk through some of the practical applications of rhythms. I've got your, the chat open in front of us. We've already had someone comment on the fact they love our socks and our matching shoes, man. Come so on. that's beautiful. Foot high five? Yeah, foot, no, we're not, let's not do that. Um, so <laughs> what, what we're going to do today is just, is just actually re-examine. Last week you were at Cooley or Brisbane or Gold Coast. We looked at John 15. And this for me, Alex, is a really um, common text. I've heard it preached many times. I've preached it a couple myself. And, and I think what I love about John 15, it's almost like this moment where Jesus gathers his disciples together at the, at the last place in, um, before he goes to die. In fact, mm. you talked about this last week, mm. that the first part of John's all about Jesus' public ministry. And then in the last couple of chapters of John, we see Jesus' private ministry. Mm. If you're joining us today and you're, you're new to faith, we're, we're talking about the Gospel of John, which is one of the biographies of Jesus' life. And John, the writer, gives us the insight into what Jesus says to his disciples. And he uses this language of vine, which is weird. Like, you don't, you don't do a lot with vines, I don't think. I don't do a lot with vines. But back in that day, in, in ancient Israel, the, the vine was a common uh, language for two reasons. Number one, they were an agricultural people. And so these guys would have understood what a vine was. They would have understood the process of going grapes or other fruits, other produce, because that was part of their livelihood. But if you read through the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, in the book of Jeremiah, God uses vines as a motif to kind of talk about what Israel is meant to be. He calls Israel the vine. But if you know anything about the story of the Bible, you, you would know that Israel doesn't produce good fruit, that Israel doesn't do a good job, that Israel, just like you and I, the, the product of their life is actually death, it's disobedience, it's sin. And so that first verse where Jesus comes and he says this thing, he says, I am the true vine. He's actually come and he's saying, I'm doing what Israel was called to do, but I'm doing it in a way that Israel never could have. And so not only, not only are they stepping in as he's using this agricultural language, they're like, oh yeah, we get vines, but they would have known that this was God's calling to them, but now Jesus is fulfilling it and he's calling them to do something about that. When you, when you read this text, Alex, mm. what is the general theme? What is the general direction of what Jesus is trying to tell us here? Yeah, yeah. I love, before I even answer that, I just, and we didn't even talk about this beforehand, but... I love that you get this imagery of Jesus is what we couldn't be and could never be. And now he invites us to participate with him, uh, to apprentice after what he's modeled so beautifully. Uh, and I just love the imagery there. It's Jesus is the perfect one, but he invites us to sort it's of not, work It's not way. showmanship. It's, it's not, not showmanship. Like, hey, look, I can do what you can't. Yeah, that's he, right. He's like, come do it with me. Yeah, yeah. come and see. Um, yeah, and come and participate. I just, I love that. Um, yeah, the main thrust of the text, um, I examined this myself just a little, a little time ago, and um, something that really struck me, you read through this text, and there's a repeated word. It comes 10 times in these verses that we've read just now, and the words remain. And, and that's John's clue, and that's Jesus's clue, that the key point of this teaching um, is that the followers of Jesus disciples of Jesus, if they're to learn anything about apprenticing under the way of Jesus, it's this, that we need to remain in 
God. And different translations sort of hit it differently. Some translations say abide. Some translations say make your home in. Um, Some translations say dwell. Uh, And the whole idea is, um, I guess Jesus is asking this question, what do you do with your life? And is it possible to do everything you do in life in me? Can you make your home in me with everything that exists, not just from your nine to five, but your waking to your sleeping, to your sleeping, to your waking? Will you do everything that you do in me? Will you abide? Will you remain? Um, And this is given, as you said, Mike, just on the precipice of Jesus's death. And so this isn't just about personal formation as an end in itself. There's a missional outworking here because the kingdom of God is breaking in through the disciples who follow after Jesus. He's about to die and the kingdom of God is going to break through not just in his death and resurrection, but the people who follow him. And so abiding isn't just an exercise in personal formation as an end in itself. It's got a missional outflow. And so two main points, make our home in God if you're a disciple of Jesus. But here's what you should expect. That will impact the world and the kingdom of God will infiltrate, infiltrate the neighborhoods and the communities and the cities of which we're a part. Mm. It's, this, it's this weird balance, isn't it? Because mm. um, Jesus doesn't give us a list of things to do. He says, he says remain in me, yeah. remain in me. Mm. But then it's not about relaxing. And I think this is important for me because sometimes in Christianity, you hear Christians be like, I'm not really about legalism, not really about doing more. Um, I'm just about grace. I'm just about, you know, God's finished. And that's so true. But if you read in verse 9, Jesus attaches this thing. He says, hey, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. If you keep my commandments, Hmm. you will remain in my love. Hmm. And and it's this beautiful moment where Jesus is saying, it's it's not about relaxing, it's about resting. But there is a sense of doing. There is a sense of actually, hey, there are things that the Christian life will begin to look like. Mm. And so if we think that remaining in Jesus is just, hey, God, you just do it all. And I'm just like, I'm here chilling. I I think that what that is, that's apathetic and lukewarm Christianity. Mm. And that's what we want to talk about today. What what does it actually mean for us to abide? Because that's kind of like an ethereal term. It's like, hey, just remain in Jesus. It's like, yeah, that's, I mean, that sounds lovely. But (laughs) what does it mean to be intentional? Yeah. There are people joining today um, who maybe it's your first time uh, here at New Life and you're like, wow, I, I want to learn more about Jesus. Maybe it's your, you've been coming to New Life for a while. And the question I would ask you is this, how are you being intentional with your discipleship of Jesus this year? Mm. When you wrote down your New Year's resolutions or how you're going to you know, approach this year, how much of that was informed by what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus? Because, you know, losing five kilos, that's great. But that can be a motivation of being a disciple of Jesus, which is good, healthy living, Mm. or it can be a motivation of being formed by our culture. Yeah. And so what is actually forming how we're approaching this year? How are we actually being intentional? And if if I was in ancient Israel and uh, I was hearing this, I would have had an image of a vine, Alex. We talked a bit about this this week, but just a Mm. quick summary. What what was important for a vine Mm. to grow and produce? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, when my wife and I were living in Sydney, we did a trip up to the Hunter and we got to visit a number of wineries. And wineries, you know, you get, you get wine grapes from a vine and the key ingredient in uh, growing vine was, um, was not just the water, not just the sunshine, not just space and land, but actually a trellis, uh, an intentional structure that gives space for growth and protects from harm. 
And, uh, and this is the agricultural imagery that the ancient Christians would have picked up on straight away. Uh, a trellis does two things. It protects from harm and it promotes flourishing. Um, and so uh, I guess that's a beautiful image of what it might look like to make space in our own lives uh, to abide. The, the vine grows. As a result of the vine growing, fruit is the result. Um, and the part that we play in participating is to set up structure, habits, disciplines that help us over time um, abide in the vine. Yeah. Mm. You, you were talking about this before when we were gathering. I'm going to steal it from you just for yeah. the sake of it. But Go you were talking ahead. about the idea of when we think about how does God transform our life, mm. we think, well, God does the transformation. I do nothing. Mm. But um, that word participation is really important. Yeah. Can you speak into a little bit more about how does the Holy Spirit actually transform us? Is it just we just sit back and go, God, you do all the work? Like, what does that look like for a disciple of Christ? Let's say there's people here today who are walking yeah. into 2022. They're walking in with sin that they don't want. They're walking in with baggage that, that's really difficult. Some people have rhythms in their life that, that are poisonous and difficult. Is it just the sense of going, hey, God, you you just got to transform my heart. You, you take it all away. What, what is our role in that when you say participating, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. I think on one level, we as sort of faithful Protestants and people who read the scriptures would say the finished work of Jesus is enough. He's done everything necessary that we might be one and reconciled into relationship with God. Um, but you think of any relationship that you're in. Um, it's the unmerited favor and the love of the person that brings you into relationship But when you're in that relationship, there's things to do. Um, You you don't abscond. You don't abstain. You you actually lean in. And leaning in doesn't just help you experience the love of the other more fully. It actually shows your response to the love that they've given you in the first place. Um, And so to participate is first a response to God's love. And then it's a reforming of our own loves and lives and hearts and minds. Um, Yeah, so I I like the word participate. I find that really, really helpful. Yeah, I think it's it's important that... What we're talking about today is what is uh, a response to God's love looks mm. like? What is the response to the unmerited favor of God? And if you're new to faith today, just say this, that you don't earn your way into the family of God. You are provided a way to the family of God on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Mm. But the beauty of it is this, is that once we're in, how are we going to respond to the free gift of God's grace and love? And the answer is, is that if we don't have a response then we don't understand his grace. Yeah. It's not that we should find a response. It's that we should go, God, show me your grace deeper. Mm. And as we start to talk about our trellis today, and the trellis is what is the structure of your life? Mm. What is the structure of your life leading you to become? Because the, the, the idea is this. Every single person here has a trellis. Mm. Jason said it really great here last week at the Gold Coast. Whether you know it or not, there is something the branches of your life is growing around. Do you know what you are becoming and how do you work that out? What are the habits and the rhythms of your life? We're using this language of rhythm of life, but you Mm. like the term rule of life, Alex. Talk to me a little (laughs) bit about what a rule of life is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the ancient Christians, they had this language actually started by a guy named St. Benedict who started a monastery. And some of you listening might have heard of the thing called like a Benedictine monastery. Uh, And in the monastery, um, St. Benedict had this idea. He actually understood and appreciated how habits and structure and all of these sort of material, ordinary, repetitive things form our lives more powerfully than sort of the big things in life. Uh, and so he coined this phrase, rule of life. Rule comes from the Latin word for trellis, most sort of scholars think. Uh, and a rule of life is, is a way of talking about our everyday, ordinary rhythms, habits, practices, and disciplines, uh, which gives us a framework by which to ask the question, well, how is what I'm doing doing something to me for better or for worse? 
And so really simply, to boil it all down, we would say, the ancients would say, a rule of life is a list of commitments, habits, disciplines, and practices that we adopt in our ordinary, daily, weekly, monthly lives so we can, over time, become more like Jesus. We've just updated the language a little bit, um, which I really appreciate, like rhythms. It actually makes more sense given the context that we're in to use that language. You've really helpfully um, sort of unpacked the way by which rule of life isn't just something to help us think positively about our discipleship, but critically about the world we live in. Can you unpack some of that language for us? Yeah, when, when you look at John chapter 15, um, and you and I were talking about this this week, we often ring each other when we're writing sermons, we're like, dude, like, what's, what's God saying to you? Um, and it's really helpful, it's like a cheat sheet. But um, what, what, what I found helpful is I was watching, I was just listening to what Jesus was saying, he kind of was talking about two things. He actually starts with the negative. He starts early and he says that, he, you know, God's going to come and prune things in your life mm. so that he can produce things mm. in your life. When you look at John 15, there's, there's kind of two things that God wants to think us to reflect on. What is he wanting to produce mm. and what is he wanting to prune? What does he want to produce and what does he want to prune? And um, we'll talk about pruning a little bit later. But the reason why that's important is because I think we think God's you know, miraculous work happens at the altars on Sundays. And I think it does. Like, that's amazing. Prayer ministry on Sunday, beautiful. But I actually believe one of the most powerful ways that we participate in the work of God is by our everyday habits. Mm. And everyone has habits. Everyone has a rule of life. There are things that you are doing right now that are your rhythms that if you're not aware, it doesn't mean that you don't have them. Let me give you an example. Mm. When you woke up this morning, it was the first thing that you did. I guarantee you, you do that most mornings. Mm. Most mornings. You know, for, for me, Alex, that used to be roll over and check my phone. Yeah. Um, and for a period of time, I actually had to take my phone and sleep within the kitchen um, because I was just like, I don't want the first thing I do. But we don't think about that. You know, some people's rhythms might be wake up and go to the toilet. Like, but that's fine. Like, that's, it's still a rhythm. Maybe not spiritually forming you, but what do you do next? You know? And, and I think we don't think, when, you, when you're in the car, what do you yeah. listen to? You know, yeah. someone listens to ABC 612. Mm. That's a very different rhythm than someone listens to 102.9. Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong about either of those things, but each of those inputs are forming us to different people. Yeah. And that's a very surface-level example. Mm. But if you go deeper and go, okay, well, how are our habits forming us mm. every single day. And, and for me, I, I think it helps us become aware about how our culture is forming yeah. us. When we actually become aware of our habits, we start mm. to work out our culture is teaching us habits. Yeah. Can you speak a bit more into that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I love, um, I love the way you draw out those two words, producing and pruning. And if I could just summarize pruning, um, because that'll answer the culture question. This is not as simple as saying, the world's bad and... Being a Christian in the ghetto is good. It, it's actually a sophisticated Did lens. You say a Christian in the ghetto? Like a Christian ghetto. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like this cloistered off community, let's bunker down, let's be insular, let's like not hang out with the world. It's like, it's, wow, you're like Brisbane, man. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, we, yeah, ghetto gospel. So it, it, it's a sophisticated lens by which to think redemptively about everything to redeem the time. And so um, when we talk about pruning, there's sort of two things we're, we're sort of mentioning. It's, it's one... Uh, there are unhelpful and unwise habits that we have that are over time deforming us away from the image of Jesus. But Christians think a bit more deeply and seriously, and we'd say there's also sins in our life 
And I just want to clarify that before I move on, because some of the ways we talk about how culture deforms Christians, they might sound a bit surface level, but actually we're just talking about unwise, unhelpful habits and how over time they actually beget a kind of life which is less like Jesus. Um, I think one of the ways that culture um, uh, influences and forms Christians is, is TV. Um, now, again, it might sound like I'm saying don't watch TV, um, but you think about the kind of things that are on TV and not just the kind of content, but the repetitive rhythm of that content and how it normalizes things. Um, and so I think of two sort of key catchwords like promiscuity uh, and sort of, sex, you know, um, an over, overly celebrated sexual culture uh, and violence and how the TV we watch, not just by watching one show, but by inhabiting the narrative arc of a series of shows and letting that normalize these things in our life. Um, I think that Jesus was sensitive to pain. I think of John 11, verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus stood before suffering and it said, Jesus wept. And culture deforms us in a way by us watching content and sort of engaging content repetitively and um, which, which normalizes things. Uh, I think of TV. Um, that's such a surface level one, but Mike, would you have any sort of ways that you could think through that culture might deform? No, I, th- I think that's really helpful. And I mean, we don't want to return to, I remember when I was growing up in the 90s, it was yeah. like, you know, if you got a secular album, burn it as a sign of, you know, you breaking down your idols. You know, if you, we're not yeah. saying get rid of your Netflix subscription yeah. or no Disney way. Plus, although <laughs> for some people that might be helpful. Might it's, be. it's about, do you have the right filter? Yeah. And I think when we have an unfiltered approach to content, we, yeah, yeah. I've actually heard people go, well, I'm, you know, I'm questioning this because I was watching a show on Netflix. And I'm like, hang on, shows on Netflix are actually beginning to form us yeah. more than the Word of God. Yeah. And that should be concerning. When we have more formative questions coming from media mm. than we do from established truth, I, I think that can mm. be really, really dangerous. Yeah. And so that's why I think for me, mm. uh, this, this idea of a rhythm of life, mm. the rhythm of life for me, is about the, I, there's a great hymn. It says, my heart is prone to wander. Mm. Anyone who's been a Christian for any period of time knows how true that is. Mm. Left to my own devices, mm. you know, as a pastor of a church, my heart's prone to wander. Yeah. If, if I just have, I, I just wander off the track. And so what, what a rhythm of life does is it provides me with disciplines and boundaries that goes, hey, don't wander from here because mm. there's a cliff over there. Mm. Don't wander from here because the shepherd's voice is trying to curtail you over here to good pasture and mm. good, good, good um, resting and abiding. Mm. And that for me helps me understand that when we as a Christian can admit, hey, all of our hearts are prone to wander, mm. then the question is what's helping me know what wandering looks like? Yeah. And that's where the rhythm of life comes in. Mm. So when we're talking about a rhythm of life, this is actually an ancient practice. So often modern Christianity is based on modern thought. When we look, Christianity has been thriving for thousands of years. So, mm. so we're returning to the ancient and mothers and fathers of our faith and asking, mm. what did they do for their faith to flourish, even in times when the world was darker than it is now? Mm. And one of the ways was this idea of a rhythm of life. So Alex, when you, when you mm. start thinking of a rhythm of life, mm. how, do you, how do you begin to form that? Like we're at the start of a new year. At yeah. New Life, we actually don't want to do this once. Every year mm. we want to start looking at our rhythms of life. Yeah. What, how do we start to form mm. what a rhythm of life looks like for us, that our hearts mm. might not wander away from the shepherd? Yeah, yeah, great one. I think um, one thing I'd want to say up front is 
um, a, a rhythm of life or a rule of life, it, it, it really is, if you look at it on a piece of paper, it's a list of commitments, disciplines, habits uh, that you want to engage and stay away from, all in a bid to become more like Jesus. And so you map that out. What does that actually look like? And the answer to that question is, in a sense, expendable, in, in the sense that um, the categories that we come up with to parse out and think through our lives and the rhythms that we try and list out... Um, they're going to be different for different people. But let's just list some life categories. Um, so you, you ask the question, what is my life? Um, we've, just got, we've come up with four categories just to help you think through. And, and before I list these, I just want to encourage you, if you've got a journal or a phone, I just encourage you, get these, um, get these written down so you can start to think through on one axis up the top, categories of life that capture who you are and what you do, uh, and then rhythms of life which capture daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly um, sort of your, your schedule and uh, your rhythms. So let's, let's just slow that down because I think oh, sure. people, people will need a chance. And, and I think mm. my encouragement to you is this, as, you know, as, a, as a pastor of this community, if you're sitting at home right now and you're watching this, it can be really dangerous for you to go, I'm just consuming. Mm. Um, and when Alex and I were just, and David, we were thinking about, okay, how can we do today? The challenge was, actually, guys, right now, everyone has a phone. Right now, everybody uh, has something next to them where you could actually take notes. And I'd really encourage you and challenge you, why would you not pull it out right now? Why would you not just lean in? Because this is not something where we're going, hey, this is a nice idea. We're saying this is something new life as a community is going to commit to. Mm. And, and we're just going to break down our categories of life. And if you haven't had a chance to do this this year, why don't you just do it with us right now? Mm. And we're going to give you some of the categories you know, we think are helpful. But you might have your own categories that you want to think through about where God wants to speak into. The question is not where does God fit into my life, but how does all of my life, all of my life fit into a rhythm with God? Mm. How does all of my life fit into a rhythm with God? Even if you're a sports person, you've got one category of your life is my sport. You know, I think back to Eric Liddell, who, who decided that he wouldn't race on Sundays because that's how he wanted to honor God and the Sabbath. That's him going, all of my life is submitted to God. And so I'd just love to encourage you, just take this moment right now to write these down. And um, the other thing came to mind, the whole Holy Spirit prompting, what we're not trying to create here is a new religion. Mm. Um, you, I think back to like the, the book of Mark, where the Pharisees challenged Jesus as to like, hey, why are your disciples eating on the Sabbath? Yeah. And he says to them, hey, man wasn't created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for man. What he's saying here is don't get so constricted in your life that you start to serve the rule. Mm. The rule serves who we're becoming, yeah. not who oh, we're man. becoming serves the rule. You know, and, and it's a really important tension yeah. and balance. So we've got these five kind of, these four categories that we're just going to walk through real quick. The first one is mm. abiding. So you just want to write down abiding. The sense is how are you building intimacy with Christ? Yeah. The second one is relationships. Not how are you getting a relationship, but how are you forming your relationships from spousal to romantic to family to community, even to fellowship and church relationships. Mm. Then gospel and hospitality. How, what are the practices that are helping your missional presence in the world? What are the things that you're doing to celebrate, remind yourself of the gospel and outwork that in your world? And finally, work and money. Work and money. So we've got abiding relationships, gospel and hospitality, that's one, and work and money. And Alex, this is something you've been dwelling in and thinking of a lot lately. Mm. So when, when you're thinking of the word abiding, what question mm. are you asking of your rhythms? Yeah, awesome. Um, 
in answering that, I just want to tee you up and, and, and set you up to answer one more. We might just outwork practically two of these um, just together, back and forth. Um, yeah, and so when I think through abiding, um, you know, if the x-axis, I'm going to get this wrong, but if the x-axis are the categories of life, then the y-axis um, can be uh, sort of what maps out your schedule, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Uh, and so some, a practice that I found really helpful is asking, what am I doing daily? In my intimacy with Jesus, what am I doing weekly, monthly, and yearly? Um, and sort of there's two prongs to that question. What in my life takes away from my abiding in Jesus? Daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly. And then what in my life helps me abide and experience intimacy with Jesus? Um, and so daily, I'll give a practical example, and then Mike, I'd love you to speak weekly if you could. Um, but daily, I realized a few years ago that I'm really good at treating reading the Bible as a checklist. And my Brisbane community, they'll, they'll be like, oh, this again? Yes, this again. Uh, I say this all the time. Reading the Bible is a, it was a checklist for me. And God really challenged me and said, man, Alex, atheists read the Bible. Um, there's atheist scholars who love the New Testament, um, not because they love Jesus, but they love studying it. Uh, and reading the Bible became a checklist for me. And I felt God challenge me to add to my Bible reading uh, silence and solitude for 10 minutes with a cup of coffee. Uh, and what I learned, not the first time I did it, but after months and years of doing it, uh, was this sense that I don't need to achieve when I read the Bible. I don't need to tick it off that I can actually sit in the love of God, having done nothing to earn it, having performed no sort of prayer, no sort of reading, no sort of exercise of mind. I can sit in the love of God. And then the way that I came to the scriptures after that, you know, after repeatedly doing that, day in, day out, week after week, month after month, year after year, it's, it's completely transformed the way I read the scriptures. I now go to the scriptures, not as a checklist to tick off, but as a inspired word to hear from God through. And so, you know, I asked the question about my day. What am I doing daily that helps me abide or hinders my abiding? What about for you, Mike? Maybe a larger category. Yeah, sure. If I go weekly, something Sarah and I have decided the last couple of months is we've got two little kids. And so it can be kind of hard for us to find that stillness in our house. And so once a week when we celebrate Sabbath together on Friday, so what we do is we, you know, we take two and a half hours each where like she'll, she just um, sends me away for two and a half hours. She doesn't send me, she releases me for two and a half hours. And I'm not able to go, I just pray, I go and, you know, uh, go work out for a bit. I go and just be alone with God. I just go and can dwell and rest and remain in him. Um, but it's really reflect on my week, get away from technology and all that stuff and just breathe for a second yeah. and then I come home and then she goes now we know it doesn't always work perfectly but the reality is when you got families and kids it's not always easy to find that time because you know Archer's up at like five some mornings <laughs> and so you know I try to get up at four but that's not always helpful um, and so yeah, for me that weekly rhythm of just going hey we're just going to do this every week of just giving each other a chance to just actually wait and remain on God for extended periods of time <laughs> and then we come back down we have a great rest of our family day together because it's just like we've given each other that chance to rest and remain mm. um, and just wait on God and you know sometimes we come back and we just have rich time so mm. so that's I mean that's what it is for us and then we think about through that monthly and yearly like monthly uh, you, you might go away for a retreat day I've heard some people do yearly yeah. um, I know Sarah and I are trying to just retreat away together twice this year just to pray mm. and wait on God together find out what he's saying to us We've got friends in Brisbane that go away on a yearly prayer retreat mm. what's God saying for the next year together I think yeah. that's beautiful yeah. when we're thinking through relationships Alex what are yeah. some of the questions that that category might have for us 
Yeah, yeah, awesome. I guess the same overarching question, and we just want to give this to you explicitly and repeatedly because it'll allow us as a church to ask this question ourselves. It's what am I doing in my relationships that's helping them? Uh, what am I doing in my relationships repetitively and repeatedly that's hindering them? Uh, and just acknowledging that discipleship under Jesus is a big enough category with which we can ask meaningful questions about relationships. Relationships are not uh, absent from uh, the touch and the apprenticeship that Jesus has for our lives under him. And so the question I like to ask is, what do I need in every single day? Uh, you know, the most important relationship I have in my life is with my wife, Kath. What do we need every day? to enjoy the relationship that we have covenanted to. Uh, and one thing we were reflecting at the start of this year, and we've committed to just trying to get 20 minutes a day of just decompressing and debriefing the day together, whether that's like sort of high convoluted thoughts about, you know, what did you think through today? And was it amazing? Or just like really mundane, like, hey, tell me about the structure of your day. What, what was it Was it good? Was it fun? Did you enjoy it? Um, and so 20 minutes a day. We, we also love just, you know, getting out. We've, we've committed um, to just getting one coffee a week together, face-to-face in unhurried time. That doesn't mean we won't get more coffees together. I love a flat white, you know, as much as the next guy. But uh, it just means we've committed uh, to getting unhurried time over a coffee together once a week. Um, and so... The question is not, you know, we fail at this all the time, just to be, just to be straight up, we fail at this all the time. And the feeling we have in that moment is not guilt, because this isn't about guilt. It's about relationship and what we need to flourish. Uh, what we feel when we fail is just this sense of loss. We miss each other. It's not the same. Like, it, it sucks when we fail. Um, but that's because what rule of life and what commitments in relationship and, and th- these categories we're talking about, what they serve is not ticking a moral checklist. These aren't more rules. They serve structure to help you flourish. So what about for you, man, in your relationships? Yeah, I mean, if I think weekly, I'd say that's probably why fellowship is really important to me. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm an introvert, and so I actually really like time by myself, but I mm. find that when I have too much of it, I become selfish. I become mm. introspective. I become mean and kind of, you know, really just grumpy. Mm. And so when I think about God wanting to produce fruit in me, spending time with other people actually reminds me um, of, you know, God's love for other people, yeah. the, the beauty and intricacies of their life. When I go to a small group on, you mm. know, during the week, there's a sense of getting my eyes off myself and into other people's stories. When I rock up at church and I spend time with people in the courtyard, they tell me about their week or what, what they're going through. There's this sense of rhythm to that where it's like, this is a weekly commitment to me. Mm. You know, a, a regular church attendance in Australia right now for a regular, for a follower of Jesus is once a month. Mm. And I think it's atrocious because mm. I just don't think that that's a rhythm. I think that that's an option. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it's because what, what it says is I only need church once a month, mm. but what if your community needs you there more often? Mm. it's such a self-centered question to be like, I only need to come to church this month. Mm. It's like, that makes community all about you. How much does your community need you to be present for them? Mm. And, um, and that, that, that rhythm of choosing that weekly abiding in friendships and in fellowship, even outside church rhythms, like being, Sarah and I want to develop intentional friendships. So I think these questions are important. Mm. And these questions that we're asking around these four areas are really asking God, how and what do you want to produce in our life? Yeah. How and what do you want to produce in our life Mm. that we might become? Yeah. At the end of my life, Alex, mm. I want to look back and go, I've become who God called me to become. Yeah. Not I became a product of the world, clinging on to the hope of heaven. Yeah. Because um, yeah. C.S. Lewis was like, who you, you're becoming who you will be for eternity now. 
Yeah, wow. I think it's a powerful thought. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And even as you say that, I think, you know, one of the feelings a lot of us could have as we sort of unpack these things, and you sort of said it before, we're not trying to create a new religion or add structure to uh, a life which is just meant to be organic. It's actually about providing structure to give the organic vine uh, space to flourish. And and when you realise the stakes, you know, some of us might be uncomfortable right now. When you realise the stakes, we're not just talking about what we're trying to promote and um, promote for flourishing. We're also trying to combat deformation. We're, we're, we're talking about pruning here. And, um, and so when you realise the stakes of your life, that you get one of it. Annie Dillard, a novelist, I shared this last week in my sermon, but it's so brilliant. She says, how you spend your days is how you'll spend your life. That the small things every single day is, ha- is who you are every day. Um, and so we're thinking, who am I going to be in 10 years' time? You answer that today by how you drive in the car, by how you get home from work, by how you speak to a loved one. You answer that today, right now. Um, and so, Mike, we're talking a little bit more about pruning. I, I'd love if you could just unpack um, sort of what you gave a, a contents page to before. Yeah, and I'll, um, I'll just, we might land the plane here today because I think this is probably where God wants us to finish. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think for me, the idea of pruning, I, I answered the question, not only who does I want to become, but who does God want me to stop being as well? You know, what are the, what are the practices and habits that God, you know, before um, this service starts, I don't know if we get a shot of this plant next to me here. We put this plant on platform and Anna and I, there was, it, was, it was gross looking because there was all these dead branches coming off it everywhere. And anyone that knows anything about this, about ferns, or I think Patricia is this plant's name, Anna was telling me. And um, the way to get Patricia back to life was we had to take away all the things that were dying because these dead things were actually sucking the nutrients that the life needed to grow. And we think pruning is God disciplining, but I think it's actually God shaping. It's actually God saying, hey, this is actually stopping you. And there are things in my life that, that, that are actually taking my attention, my effort, my energy, and stopping me from, from the nutrients needed, the effort, the energy needed towards the things that God wants to bless. And so the question isn't just how do I stop what's sinful? Mm. It's what's not helpful. Mm. You know, God, uh, Paul says everything, um, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Yeah. And I don't think we ask this enough. Hmm. And so this year, Sarah and I kind of stopped and we just said, um, what, what is that in our life? Hmm. And this is going to sound really dumb for some people, but we just realized it was social media. <laughs> um, if I make a confession now to our whole, you know, a couple, couple hundred people joining us, I, I realized in the last year I was addicted to social media. Um, when I had white space, I'd just open my phone. If I, I'd rock up to work, I'd open up Facebook just to see what was going on there first and then, and then get into my day. And uh, I'd spend time with Archer and I'd get bored. And so I'd just flick through what's going on in people's worlds. And, and or I'd be having my devotion and I'd be thinking about what, what other people I'd see posted or whatever. And I realized that as a pastor, I'd felt this pressure to be on Facebook and social media because that's what pastors do. We post great in thoughts and wisdom. Um, and it was just a lie. Mm. I, and I just realized actually, and I, I just want to challenge, I actually don't see social media helps me become anything like Jesus. Nothing. In fact, I, I actually think social media helps very few people become anything like Jesus. And so the question that I felt God put on my heart is, then why is it still there? Why are you holding on to this? And I'm like, oh, because my, you know, the church. I'm like, the church doesn't need me to be on social media. That's a lie. No one actually cares what I post or don't post. And so this year, Sarah and I have decided to um, deactivate our social media accounts. We'll keep Messenger and WhatsApp just to communicate with people. But um, for the last five, six days, it's transformed our marriage, it's transformed our lives, it's transformed my attention. And, mm. and I think too often, I think people go, oh, I would never step away from that. I'd never make that sacrifice with money. And I'm reminded of the rich young ruler. You know, when he comes to Jesus, he says, what else must I do? 
what else must I do? And Jesus says, sell everything and follow me. And he goes, oh, anything but that. And I wonder what it would be for you. I wonder what it would be for you. What else must I do, God, to become who you're calling me to become? And I actually think we know. Let's take a step back from that. It's not always sinful stuff. Hey, why don't you stop watching Netflix for a year? Oh, but that's, we start to defend things that are deforming us. And then we get to the end of the year and we're like, how come? Where's God? And I, I, I just believe that maybe God's saying, culture's got a stronger handhold on your life. In my life, I was being more formed by what other pastors were doing, by what I saw on social media than what I felt the Holy Spirit saying. That's not going to be who I'm going to be. And so I've taken a step back this year and it wasn't easy, but boy, it's been fruitful. So here's the question I would finish by asking. What's God wanting to prune? What's God wanting to prune? What's God saying, hey, stop that? And the question is, why would you not? Why would you not? Usually it's because we actually are more committed to what the world wants us to become than who Jesus is calling us to be. So Alex, I think that might be a good place for me to pray. Yeah, I completely agree. Are you agree. okay with that? Yeah, please. Friends, as we, um, as we get ready to pray... Um, one thing I would, I would just encourage would be this, is that in this moment, we can start to actually question and think through, okay, maybe God, you're, you know, there just seems like a whole bunch of rules, a whole bunch of regulations. This seems like uh, I've got to do more things and, and, and where is the gospel and all this? A guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, that sometimes in Christianity, we have something called cheap grace. And cheap grace is simply this, it's where we think we're following Jesus doesn't come at a cost. And it does. Because there are things that we have in our lives which are deforming us in the way of Christ. There are things we're pursuing. Hey, for me, it's social media. And there are some of you out there on Instagram and stuff right now, and you're going, man, I, that, that's not it for me. That's fine. You're probably stronger than me. All power to you. Um, but for some of us, you know, it might, be, it might be money. We're more focused on our Bitcoin account than we are actually on generosity. For some of us, and this is something Alex and I talked about earlier, it might be gluttony. You know, food we see as something to eat whenever we want rather than actually going, hey God, what does it mean to be satisfied in you and not just fulfill my fleshful desires? It might be pride. It might be a relationship. It might be a pattern. And, and here's the thing. We're living in a post-Christian society. If you're not intentional about how you're becoming more like Jesus, then tell you what, right now, you'll become nothing like Him. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus but you know your life is nothing like what it could become. What Jesus would say to you right now is not come and do. He'd say, come and rest. Come to me, all ye who are heavy laden with your failure, with your sickness, with your sin, with your selfishness, with your, with your burden. Come to me, He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I tell you, friends, but since I've stepped back from social media, I haven't felt a weight. I felt a release. It's not been a burden, it's been a joy. Why? Because God doesn't want to give you death. He wants to give you life and life more abundantly. Do you know that life today? And if you don't, I want to pray with you now. Would you join with us as we pray? God, our lives are filled with rhythms. Our lives are filled with things, these patterns that call us in and out of your grace. And so Father, I pray right now for those of us who are Christian, I believe that you're calling us in this moment to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. What are you saying? Some of us have been like, God, I really want to write down a rhythm of life. And God, give us the boldness and the self-control, which is a fruit of your Holy Spirit, 
to be committed to that. Some of us right now, God, are hearing and saying, hey, hearing you say, hey, you need to cut this off. It's too long. God gives the courage to be obedient. And some of us now who we don't know you at all, and we're just hearing the still voice of the Holy Spirit saying, you are not what you have been called to become. You're called to become my son and daughter. Come, let me forgive and wash you clean. And flows us right now, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, we would turn to you. We would ask for forgiveness. We would repent and we would follow. The one who calls us to become like a son and a daughter of God as you became a son of man. We thank you for these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Friends, for those of you who have joined us today, if you would love prayer, then Calvin and the team are waiting to pray with you online. We're going to sing a song right now called Build My Life. This song's a declaration which just says, I will build my life on the sure foundation of Jesus. I wonder, would you worship with us from home, wherever you are, as we declare this truth and make this decision today? Let's worship together.